As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Outstanding guest today, Nez Bilello is on the show. He's a Major League Baseball super agent. Forbes named him one of the most powerful sports agents in the world. He represents such players as Japanese phenom Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels, Ryan Braun of the Milwaukee Brewers, many, many more. Nez is kind of an anomaly. He was raised in San Diego, first-generation Portuguese descent, where his family migrated from Portugal, and he was raised in the commercial fishing industry. Nez would become a promising Major League Baseball infielder, And that was cut short after a devastating, horrific accident. And it cut short his playing days. And uh, this is a story of adversity, overcoming adversity, and embracing opportunity out of that adversity. It really became the defining moment of his life and uh, led to where he is today. And I love these stories. I call them out-of-the-mud stories because we are all have been in the mud. We could be in the mud right now, and we're all going to be in the mud again. And it's... I'm fascinated by how people pull themselves out of the mud, what they do with it, and who they are on the other side of it. And um, it's tough for Nez to talk about this accident. In fact, I was blessed and honored that he opened up with me. He hadn't talked about it for a long time. And so this was actually the first time he opened up, and I appreciate his authenticity, his transparency, and his vulnerability. Again, these are things that I've talked about on the show, and they are the currencies that I think are needed in today's world. And Nez's story is one of inspiration, and it's one that we can all walk away with and, and certainly put things in perspective for own lives, our own lives. And it's through Nez's dedication, his commitment, his tenacity, again, things we talk about on this show all the time. But uh, this is it in the extreme, and it shows what's possible, the indomitable human spirit, that intensity of will. But what I love about Nez is that combination of that um, humble, teachable spirit. You hear me say that all the time on this show, where that Venn diagram intersects, that intensity of will, and where that humble, teachable spirit in, spirit intersect, that's where life's supposed to be lived. And Nez is living it to the fullest, and he's something uh, something we can all exemplify and look up to, and I really appreciate him coming on the show. We talk about the history of when he, um, after the accident, he focused on his entrepreneurial skills, something that he'd been 
ever since he was a kid, and he opened up a whole a bunch of West Coast baseball schools. He worked for the Braves for 10 years, and then he walked away from all of that and started a sports agency, and he became very successful at it, and um, you're really going to enjoy this story. So thank you, Naz, for coming on the show. Thank you for being transparent and vulnerable on this show. It made for some uh, leadership gold, and it was one of my favorite episodes on the Dose of Leadership podcast. Um, it's just so glad he came on. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for being a listener. If you're finding some value in the show, do me a favor. Tell somebody about this show. It's through that word-of-mouth efforts that allows me to continue to grow the show. It continues to grow, and we're currently ranked in the top 20 of all business management podcasts on Apple Podcasts, and it's through your efforts and through your support that that happens. If you're finding some value, t- again, and all this is for free, I love doing this for you. The only price I ask you to pay is write a rating and review on the show. It's a small ask. Do it on your phone. Sometimes it's not the most intuitive, but Apple Podcasts makes it pretty easy. Stitcher makes it pretty easy. Google Play makes it pretty easy. Write a review because that helps in keeping uh, it front and center and allows Dosa Leadership to continue to grow and to continue to get better. And again, I appreciate your support. Go to dosaleadership.com. Find out all more about my services, my keynote speaking, my leadership training, my online courses, all that's available and information at dosaleadership.com. And you can reach out to me if you got any questions or you want to talk about how I can help instill a decentralized leadership culture in your organization. Check out more at dosaleadership.com. Again, thanks for tuning in. Now let's get on with this outstanding conversation with Nez Bellello here on Dose of Leadership. Nez, so excited that you're on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you. I appreciate it, Richard. Good morning to you. You know, one thing that I really love uh, on these stories, I used to have another podcast called Out of the Mud. And I got that phrase Mm -hmm. from a guy that was, um, I was sitting there, this longtime investor and this kind of mentor of mine. I was talking to him. We were talking about his old friends and he I said, who are the people that are important in your life? And he says, and he started crying. And he said, you know, it's these, it's these guys that have been in the mud. And then we all have these in the mud moments and how they pulled themselves out of the mud and what they did with it when they pulled it out w- w- was really amazing. And, and I love that phrase, out of the mud. And your story is an in the mud, out of the mud story. I love it. So tell us Appreciate a little bit. Appreciate that. Yeah. So in, tell my listeners a little bit about, you know, what brought you to this point, kind of that in the mud moment, and you know what I'm talking about, but, but bring, bring me up to speed. That's just an amazing story. Well, I think I've had a few in the mud. Moments <laughs> right. We all have. Life, right, Richard. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it can date back from when I was young. Uh, my father was a commercial fisherman. They actually um, started the fishing industry in San Diego, California, and they came over from the old country in Portugal from the Madeira islands. And, so I started working on the boats at a young age and started fishing with my father at the age of uh, 12 years old. And wherever he was in the world fishing, my mom would send me and I would fish with him. And so I, I really understood what my father and um, grandfather and all my relatives you know, went through to, to, to earn a dollar. And so I, I really learned at a young age to appreciate hard work and right. to understand what people do to make a living. And I think that brought a lot of light to how I am today. And um, no matter how hard and how difficult things can get, that you can pull yourself out of the mud and keep going. And I, I think that if I would have grown up in a different environment, a different way of life, I think that it would have been more challenging to, to pick yourself up and, you know, so throughout my career, 
things, um, you know, developed and, and, uh, you know, then I had a major accident that really, really put me as, as deep as you can get in the mud. Uh, and I had to pull myself out. And I think it's just because the way I was brought up and my upbringing and just to continue to go, 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 and just pull up the, the bootstraps. I think that that helped me to really get to where I am today. Um, but, um, yeah, look, we all go through it. We all go through difficult times, but this one particularly, I had to really have a moment and say, what am I going to do here? Yeah. When, when and I, so I decided to just pick up the, pick up the, the pieces and keep going. Yeah. When I read the story about your horrific accident and horrific is, is an apropos adjective for this, this accident, you know, here right. you are on this burgeoning baseball career for the pros and you'd been drafted. Is that correct? Had you been drafted at that point? Yeah. You were in the mind. I've been drafted. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, you were drafted 1985 by the Seattle Mariners in the fourth round. Right. Yeah. And so here you are in the minor leagues and we all know how difficult the minor leagues from a pay perspective. So you're going out, I got to get me uh, a second job to bring some income home for me and my wife. And you chose construction, right? And your wife tells you, going out the door, and your wife says, be safe today, which I think was the first time that she told you that, something to that effect. Am I getting the, the details right? Yeah, I think there's some truth behind that. Yeah, yeah I believe that she she did say that, yes. So there you are on the construction site, and what happened? Tell me. Tell me what happened. Well, I um, it was a new job site. I've been working for this company for maybe about a month maybe a month and a half. And the reason I took the job, one is because I needed to put food on the table right. in the off season because we were making zero money. And um, I had a, a decent little signing bonus, but at that time I probably used it to pay off debt or whatever I, I had. And so we probably didn't have a whole lot of money at the time. So I needed to work. But the other thing I was doing is I felt construction as a framer, you know, I was uh, a switch hitter. So I, I used both my right and left wrist to pound nails. And I felt like that was a kind of a, um, you know, an old school way to build strength right. from the elbow down. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, okay, this could be a, a really good thing because not only am I getting some good exercise in, but, you know, I can be making some money at the same time. So we happened to move job sites from one area to another. And it was my first on this particular job site in Santa Monica. And we were on the third floor, uh, just getting ready to build up the third to the fourth floor. And it was just an unfortunate situation. I walked over a piece of plywood and it teeter-tottered and it came to me. It didn't go the other way. And I didn't have anything to hang on to other than the board that was coming at me and fell down 38 feet. And that was kind of the end of it. How bad were you hurt? I was severely hurt. I, uh, my body went into uh, complete shock right away. And um, I looked up and just saw blue sky. I didn't realize uh, what, is, what happened because I blacked out um, going down. And um, it was like the, you see in, in these movies, like Disney movies, where you're you know, flowing through a tunnel, right? And yeah. you're on the top of the tunnel and then you go out and I actually went through a couple of those. When I woke up, I looked up and realized that that time I fell. So I tried to get up right away, your first reaction. And that's when my body just went numb. So wow. I didn't have a whole lot of feeling for my, for my kind of my back down. 
And um, so they they were able to get me out of there and rush me over to UCLA. And I had an amazing group of doctors that um, that made huge decisions for me. And um, I am grateful to this day on the people that um, took me under their wing and took care of me. And they consulted with the doctors in Seattle and and they came up with a good game plan. And, you know, it uh, it took a while um, to really um, gain any of my strength back because I got beat up pretty good. I broke, as you can imagine, falling 38 feet and landing on pure cement, you know, what it does for your body. So I broke a lot of different things from hip, pelvis, sacrum, wrist, head head injury. Like it, I got beat up pretty good. So, um, but they put me in traction. I was in traction for a long time to allow my body to kind of settle in. And then they started pool therapy and dipping me and allowing my body to kind of move around. And um, so again, big decisions were made me to be able to get back and have a just a, a normal life you know people falling from that distance the the percentage of people living is very very well, yeah. small um to actually getting back and having a normal life uh is even smaller and then to get back and play it's about as small of a percentage as you can get and i beat the odds and i beat the odds because of um just quality people around me and a, a really good support group of people around me um and you know from the doctors to to my wife to family it was it was just amazing it took a village to get me back and and uh i did and you know to make a crazy story if there's any silver lining to it i was able to get back and actually play not at to the level i was playing at which was a pretty high level i i i had some skills um I had some deficiencies as well, but I had some pretty good skills, I think, to, to get me to play in the big leagues for a while. Um, and uh, most of them went away, but I was able to get back and at least function and play and kind of check that box. And, and I think that was the part that I'm so grateful for. And yeah. I think because of that and the contacts I've had just today working as, as an agent, I think uh, were beneficial just because I was able to get back and play. The the mindset thing I'm so fascinated with. I remember when I was doing the homework on you and, and reading your background. I read a, a story that your wife had said that even when she first saw you at the hospital, she she was amazed by your attitude, and that even during that time, you said, you know, everything's going to be okay. You know, internally, were you thinking at that moment? I mean, I'm sure is a roller coaster up and down, but were you thinking, oh my God, my career, my dream's over? Is, you know, I, I'll fight this. I'm going to make it back to the, the major leagues. What was the dominant mindset, I guess, during that, that whole time period? Yeah, you just never let, um, I just never let my mind go there. Right. It did. I mean, trust me, it did. But I just held on to the hope. And then, um, you know, there were some th- key things that happened along the way. One of them was the doctor that took care of me at UCLA, this orthopedic surgeon. His name is Dr. Bert Mandelbaum. Um, wonderful man. And he created hope for me because he told me that, that he would get me back and playing again. And I don't even know if he really believed that. Right. Uh, maybe he did. Um, but it created just a strong burning hope in my gut that said, I can do this. And I was a pretty positive person. I always looked at things half glass full. 
throughout my life. Um, I really didn't grow up around a lot. I didn't have a lot, but I enjoyed life. And, and this was the first real obstacle uh, that um, hit my life. Everything seemed to be kind of, uh, it lined up, you know, I mm-hmm. just through high school and, and through college and then into pro ball, things were just great. You know, things were moving along really nicely, you know, just moving according to schedule. And this was the real first big bang. And um, I just told myself, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. And, and I motivated myself and worked my tail off to get back. And, and um, I did. And I think that is the most fulfilling thing of all um, was that I just told myself it's not going to happen and I'm going to make sure that I do get back. And sure enough, I did. Yeah. I'm only, like, again, the out of the mud moments is so amazing to me. You, you and I can experience the same sort of traumatic event. One of us goes on and takes that kind of crisis or that obstacle or that unforeseen event and we choose to cliche embrace it, I guess, and then try to do something mm-hmm. with it. And the other one, like you could go on and that event, because you chose to, it, it defined the rest of your life in a positive way. I could take that and I could go sink and go the other way. And that whole kind of decision path of that why in the fork in the road is always amazing to me, you know? And I always just wonder why people choose what they do in the mindset thing. I'm just fascinated by, you know, because you could have easily taken that, that event and you could have sunk into a despair that you never would have recovered from, you know? And it's just, yeah. Yeah. Richard, you're spot on on that. Um, and there are people that go through these type of, of, um, situations in life and, I'm sure there's quite a few people that will take the other turn, right? right? To just give up. You know, if I did, I wouldn't have rehabbed properly. I would have been, who knows, maybe still in a wheelchair. Like, who knows where I would be? But I decided to take the other route. And, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting that later, um, it was always a message to myself, and I shared it with others not about the accident. And I, and I really didn't talk about it. I haven't talked about this in, in years and years and years. It does come up occasionally when I'm out there speaking, people will ask because, you know, nowadays people can go and research and kind of know your story. Um, but I, um, I always used it in my mind to, to be able to teach and share uh, with really strong conviction when one of my players or a staff member, you know, has a difficult day or, or starts giving up on something, or I have a player that calls and he's struggling, he's about ready to throw up the white towel. And, you know, I can talk to them with like, I, like the word I used earlier was really strong conviction about, no, you have no idea. Right. And right. I don't use it as, oh, I had no, this accident. No, I get back it. I understand. Whatever yeah. year. But I use it as as a motivation and they hear it and they feel it, it <clears throat> coming from me. And I think throughout the years, I've had success developing talent when I had all my baseball facilities and then now as, as an agent. But it, it's not so much just a contractual agent. You know, I have a strong relationship with my players on a development side. And I think motivating them and keeping them in line and in check, I think is all because of the accident. And, 
um, I use that um, in my own mind and in my own body um, as a um, a form of of teaching because I know that no matter how bad it gets, and I was about as low as you can get. You can't get any lower yeah, I mean, I when you don't have sure. feeling in your lower half, and I mean you're done and your career is over. It doesn't get any lower. Um, and to be able to pick them up and motivate them to get them going and then watch them pick up the pieces and go out and have success, you know, that, then you start realizing that it's a formula that can really benefit other people and uh, because it was something I went through and I'm able to share. Exactly. So that's how I view this. And I look at it as more of a, a motivational tool that I can share that because it's something that I went through. Absolutely. And I mean, I, and I hear the humility in your voice and I get it that you're, you're reluctant to, Oh, look what I went through. I get that. And, and I appreciate your, your humbleness about it, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think to, to not take advantage of the lessons learned uh, and the recovery from that um, would be kind of withholding a gift that, uh, that others could, could, benefit from you know what i mean and i get it i know you're not up there going hey look what happened to me and how you know and how great i am i get that and you're not doing that and it doesn't come across that way but you're right i mean it's so to me inspirational to sit there and go because again i'm fascinated by the mindset when people are faced with those unforeseen traumatic choices and what do you do Right. And, and right. It, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Because I think it revealed in you, and I don't know, my, my question we're going with this is it, it probably unearthed or revealed to you a skill set that you probably on the surface maybe knew was there, but wasn't fully realized because until this thing happened. Does that make sense? In other words, your entrepreneurial skills, your perspective on leadership in life probably wasn't as strong or as, um, powerful as it could could be unless you'd gone through this does that make sense did i say that right it does it does yeah that's why i have to look at that day and that day when i fell it wiped out what could have been a five six maybe a 10-year career in the big leagues right and and you could have a chip on your shoulder all day about that sure right you can but i have to look beyond it because what happened that day i believe things happened them for reasons. And I, I believe that I'm in a position today to help this, this younger generation of, of not only staff and, and people that, that I work with and work and, and that work for me, um, but the players that, that I touch, um, you know, I feel that it's a, it's something that uh, like I mentioned earlier, happened for a reason to be able to take this skill set and and um, learn from it and use it as a tool to know that we can get through anything. And humility is 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 really really important. And I and I think in business and in life, I think when people just take a very strong, humbled approach, but believe in their ability. And just allow their actions to go out and just take its course. I'm a big believer in that, and I think that um, through the years, I've I've learned to take those skills and you know allow that just to um, trickle down to everyone. And and I think it's just by example. It's not by me telling people this is the way it is. I just uh, it's by example. Look, 
I'll bet you there's, I don't know, 80, 90% of my clients don't even know that I had this accident. Yeah. And um, a majority of my staff and people that I work with uh, at CAA, I mean, I can tell you right now, they don't know about it unless they go and they just really do some deep research and yeah. a deep dive on me. But who's doing that? You know, I mean, it's like, why, why, unless they, you know, they did and I don't know about it. But um, yeah, so look, I, I, I have to stay with those beliefs. Things happen for reasons. And and use it and um, make the best of it. And, and I have, you know, yeah, there's no other way to yeah, look at it. For sure. I mean, and I love it. I love your responses to it. And again, I, I hope you don't mind me bringing up this accident as a key component of defining who you are. You've, you've gone well beyond that. And, and as an outsider looking in, I can definitely see that. I, but I, I think that it's so, again, the, the, the gift of the, the journey that you've went through it's a powerful one, and I don't think we should we should deny it. You know, as, as long as you treat it with, and you certainly are with with the humility that you, that you do. I think that's the. I talk about this on the show all the time, and it's become one of my kind of tenant beliefs that what I strive for and what I think all of us are kind of obligated towards, and the leadership that I want to project, the leader I kind of want to be, the leader. Ship I want to work in an organization or wherever is this combination where you have this intensity of will, you know, to, to push yourself outside of a comfort zone, to do things, you know, constantly, to embrace fear and uncertainty, and then, and then couple that with a humble, teachable spirit. And where that kind of Venn diagram intersects, that's the sweet spot of life, I think, right? And you seem like one of those guys. I don't know if you ever looked at it that way, but that's what I think defines you is that you, you're this you have this level of intensity to some people call it competitiveness, but I think it's, I think deep down you seem like a guy that you want to make the place better than you found it in, in some ways. And there's an intensity behind that and there's a humble teachable spirit with it. And I think that's, that's the recipe for success. How do you feel when you hear me say that? Yeah. I mean, it, and I appreciate that. And I, I feel like I, I run my life that way and business. You know, I, I, I think the way that you categorize that a humble, humble, teachable spirit. Um, it, it, I, you know, I hope that's what comes out. Um, I try to, to lead that way. Um, but there's clearly a fire in there. And I think yeah. the fire also came from the motivation of, of, uh, getting back to where I am. Mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. that you don't just, just, take a real soft approach <laughs> right. to, um, you know, get yourself back on track. I mean, you have to have some real strong dedication and you have to really like tighten it up and to get to where you want to be. And, um, I think that also comes out. So, you know, I think that the, the humble teachable spirit is such a great way to summarize it. Um, but there's a, you know, the, I guess you can, there's a caveat to that, which is, uh, accompanied by a strong desire, um, and will to, to get through anything. And there's yeah. not anything out there that is going to stop me from being successful because of where I came from. Exactly. The intensity of will coupled with yeah. that humble, teachable spirit. That to me, I think that is what we, sh that, uh, I dare say it, that's our obligation while we're here. I, I think that's the way life's mm -hmm. supposed to be lived. 
if, if it goes too far yeah, extreme, if it goes too far extreme one way or the other, if it, if you're just kind of this, all you all you are is this intense freak, uh, it, it's too skewed. And if you're completely the other way, if all you are is just a humble, teachable spirit walking the earth like a, a monk, I mean, nothing against monks, but you see what I'm saying? I think that if if you're, it's that yin and yang of bringing those two together, is what makes this place worth living. I don't know. That's how I like to. No look question. At it. No yeah. question. They both complement each other extremely well, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you're spot on on that. You know, I think that there's a part of you that just says, "Hey, be grounded." Yeah. But then there's a part of you that says, "Be grounded, but go get it." Yeah. And um, you know, I think that's important. Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur before baseball? I mean, as a kid, I mean, or or did this kind of entrepreneurial skill set kind of emerge as you're realizing, okay, my body's not, you know, what it, for me to continue this career, I got to do something else. And so you start, you know, still surrounded by baseball, but opening up these, uh, the schools and then working with the Braves, everything else. how, How did that entrepreneurial spirit kind of emerge? I, I think Richard, it's in my DNA. Yeah. Um, I, my, my mom told a story, um, uh, before she passed to, to a lot of us. Um, and, and I, I forgot the story. Um, I came to her and I was six or seven years old and I asked her for a dollar during the summer because I wanted to go with my buddies and I wanted to go, you know, to, she said to go get a Slurpee at Seven <laughs> Eleven, And she goes, I don't have any money for you. And I said, well, I, I, I want to go get, she says, well, if you want to go get it, then you go earn it. You can figure it out a way. So I'm like, okay. So I go in the garage and there's an old mower. It's the one that you push with. It has the blade yeah, right, right in right, the catcher right, on the right, back, right? Old right, school, old school. So I took that mower, flipped it up, and you could walk it on the wheels if you flip it upside down. And I went through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, asking people if they needed their their <laughs> lawn mowed. And sure enough, this one lady hired me, and she gave me, I think it was like five dollars a week to come and do her garden and mow. And I was rolling. Yeah, I had a little man. business at a young age, <laughs> and I figured it right after that I was uh, I was off and rolling. And and I just. Trust me, I tell you this, Richard, it didn't stop from there. Okay. That's awesome. I kept going and going and understood uh, what I needed to do. And when I was fishing with my dad in the summers, you know, I became a crew member. The first year I had to learn the ropes at a very young age. And it's a dangerous uh, profession for sure, being yeah. out in sea. And he was a tuna fisherman. And, um, but the next year I actually became a crew member and started getting paid. And the next few summers after that, I became, uh, more involved as a crew member. And so, um, you know, I, I, I made a young little living, you know, in the summer, uh, helping my father and the crew and, and had responsibilities. That was another thing that I learned at a young age, having major responsibilities on that boat that, you know, if I did something wrong, it could affect the life of another crew member. Or if I didn't, correctly read a gauge of the temperature of the wells that the fish was in and that well became too warm and it killed the fish i mean that's that's the livelihood of the entire crew so major responsibilities and it didn't come easy it's not like i was just this ultra uh, responsible kid at 13 14 years old you know i 
I, I took my licks and had to learn. And I think later that also helped me. So I think it all started from a young age. For sure. Well, I mean, that's a heck of an education or, or a sense of responsibility, <laughs> 13 to 14. My <laughs> Lord, to see all that. Yeah, that that's huge. Wow. So what? how did it lead to – so you started these kind of sports schools. You're working for the Braves scouting, and eventually you sold – uh, the schools, you left the Braves and you started a sports agency. How did, how did the transition to becoming an agent happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it happened very, um, organically. So as a player, uh, I was always involved with camps and anytime there was kids involved, um, I always really enjoyed being around them. I had just a real love to children. And, um, uh, I really enjoyed being around them. So in the off season, I'd come back and I was asked to be a speaker at a camp and I'd come and work with the kids a little bit. And, um, so after I had my accident, I picked up the pieces, played a little bit more, but then had an opportunity to buy a, um, a startup facility of a baseball school in Agora Hills. And, uh, the two gentlemen that I bought it from, I knew they actually asked me the year before to come and speak at one of their holiday camps. And I love what they were doing, but they decided they wanted to get it out of it after only having it for a year uh, because they wanted to get back into pro ball. They were both pitching instructors. So I, um, I bought the school and uh, it was, I had three months left on the lease in Agora. I really didn't know what I was doing, I was just winging it, but I had partnered with a gentleman that was already working for them. And that was part of the, that was a part of the deal. And they said, well, if you're going to buy this school, you have to partner with this gentleman because we want to sell him some of the school as well. So I did. And, and we had the school for 10 years and he was a wonderful partner and we grew and grew and grew. We were both entrepreneurial driven and we wanted to grow and and turn it into something big. And we did. And um, we had a real good model. We had a good game plan. Uh, we licensed out the formula throughout um, the country. And so people bought our formula and they started their schools. And, and uh, we built all these facilities throughout Southern California. But the best part about I, when I reflect back on the schools was, uh, and we had a lot of them, um, my father uh, after he got out of fishing, um, he retired and he was living up in the mountains up in Big Bear and he would come down and him and I would build all the facilities. So it started in Agora and then it went to all the different towns and cities throughout Los Angeles and up north and down south. And um, we had a chance to bond again. Cause I bonded with my father at a young age and he taught me so much an amazing man. Like the most, he was the best leader you could ever imagine yeah. because he didn't say anything. He just led by example. Yeah. And he, he, he learned that, you know, he was born and raised in Portugal. He learned from his father at a young age and he carried it down to me and um, just an amazing man. So him and I would, would build all these schools. We would put up the poles, we would build the net. We would, uh, uh, you know, cause he knew how to sew net and we just did it all. And so it was a really great time. So, um, we were able to do that and, and do this for 10 years. And what was interesting is all the players that, 
um, we started to develop, we got into these very serious uh, programs that were narrowed down to these elite players. And uh, it, it took time to build a reputation and a skill set where we could actually get results out of these players. And so they then um, started becoming better and better. And then we started working a program where they were getting scholarships um, from, you know, not only with their skills in baseball, but academically as well, which was something that we really um, uh, emphasized when they got into the program. And then they started getting into pro ball. Wow. So when they started getting into pro ball, <clears throat> excuse me, they came back to me and said, Hey, listen, could you uh, recommend an agent? Um, you know, I have to do this and do that. And so some of them, I kind of walked them through their contract based on what I knew because I did my own contract back in the day in 1985. I, I didn't have an agent. I did it myself. I figured I could do this and I did. And I read a lot and understood how to do it and negotiated my own contract and I was off and rolling. So, I was able to help them a little bit and get through it. And uh, one thing led to another. They would always come back and said, you know, I, I trust you on just you as a person. And, and I know you're going to shoot me straight. You're honest. And you built your business around integrity. I want you to represent me. So I said no for a couple of years. And eventually I'm like, okay, I got to do this. So it was after the recession and we, we, we got through the two, 1999, 2000, built the schools up, had a bunch of managers running all the facilities. And we had our biggest year in 2001 or 2002, I believe. And then just decided to walk away and sell everything to not only to my partner, but to all the different managers that were running the schools. And um, decided to put them on five-year notes, move on, and, and uh, started a, a sports agency. Uh, with a guy that was in the business, a lawyer, and and um, the clients that I was teaching and and developing now become became clients, and and some of them work for me today. Some of them are still playing pro ball, uh, and they all had most of them had a lot of success, which was wonderful. And that's how I got into the business. So, um, starting in 1985, I've been some somehow, some way, working in professional baseball. Because while I had the schools during the 10 years, I was also working for the Braves as a scout, kind of a special assignment guy. And, um, you know, throughout those years, I was not only still in pro ball, but I was developing at the same time. So I had to give up the job for the Braves when I started the agency. And the rest is history. I've been at it since. That's my story. I love that story. There's so many things to, to kind of... And I would would guess again from an outsider looking in and a leadership junkie as I am, I, I, and I I contend that the way that you approach business and life, it's I'm always it seems like I'm always bucking this trend. But when I talk to a guy like you, it gets validated that I know I'm on the right right path. And you know, it's so much in business and in life. And again, you look at like sports agencies, you look at even like like those schools that baseball that you take in these high school kids and everything else. Sometimes even that's even kind of tainted, I, you know, because I played baseball through high, all the way through high school too, and you, you know how some of the parents are, and how it's, it's so it can get so cutthroat, and it's like sometimes the lessons of life get lost, which is to me the greatest gift that playing baseball can give, right? I mean, it's it can set you up if done well, and if you got the right coach and the right teacher, it can just it it lays a foundation that is so powerful. 
but it gets tainted, right? And the way it sounds like that you're, you approached it, even with teaching the kids and, get, and, and focusing on academics, and st- it seems different than w- what is out there a lot. And it sounds like you're doing sports agency the same way. I know I said a lot there, but I just my point is, is it seems like you're attacking business and life and leadership in such a common sense, ethical way that I, I just wish more people would do. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, the the programs were all structured discipline. And um, I wanted to connect with each individual. And I got them to trust me that I knew what I was talking about because I've been in the game, right? right? And I I was able to play at every level and, um, uh, you know, through college and and pro ball. And, you know, obviously it was cut off short, you know, uh, getting to the big leagues. But the, um, the programs were built on discipline and I had a lot of really good, eager players that wanted to get better, but my goal was not to get them better. My goal was to get them to become great. Yeah. And they, they bought into it and they, and they did become great. Uh, I mean, Ryan Braun was a student of mine as a sophomore in high school and he came to me um, and he, he, he was in the program to kidding lessons and he was with me ever since went to UM and had an incredible career there. And then rookie of the year, MVP, I mean, the rest is history, what he has done in this game. And he was a student. I mean, there's many of those stories and um, because we just believed in each other and we stuck with each other. And um, you know, they, you know, the players that have, the other players that have come through did the same thing and it just really uh, turned out to be a really neat story. And um, I kept that structure of discipline throughout because that's, it was a really proven formula that they, they, you know, they, um, they did what they needed to do to be successful. They worked their tails off. They had great work ethic instilled that in them. And they continue to develop and, and get better. And, and, uh, you know, I think that the core of guys, you know, Jason Vargas, he was my first, uh, and I got a hold of Jason when he was in college and it was all based on trust and development. Um, it wasn't based on, Hey, I'm, I'm your agent. I'm going to do your contract. And, and I just took a different approach to business than I think a lot of other people did. When I got into the sports agency business, there were a lot of attorneys that had success, but they didn't understand the game. Right. You know, I understood the intricacies of the game. I played it. I was in the trenches. I got it. I developed, I scouted. And so I can identify talent and I used those skills to develop the players to become great. And then I just learned the business part of it. Right. You know, it's not, you know, that, that difficult, you know, you just really, it, it takes a lot of, of, of uh, um, you know, you take your lumps to, to learn the business. But once you do get it, um, I think that the two complemented each other. And so I'm still to this day with my clients, you know, if they have a rough night, you know, we break down their swing or, you know, if it's a middle infielder and you had a question about turning to double play, you know, I'm, I'm just really into that part of it. But then I, I can flip a coin and talk about their, their projection on a, you know, five-year extension, you know, very quickly because I learned that part of the business through the years. And, um, 
you know, I, again, like I said, the, the two really complement each other. And that's why my story is just a little different. My past different to where I am today uh, versus a lot of people that are in the industry today. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I never really looked at it that way, but it, it, to me, that's like the ultimate combination. And if I was a baseball player, I'd want you as, as an agent because you've been in the game. <laughs> and I guess I just would assume you're right. I mean, I guess a lot of the guys, your agents aren't necessarily stewards of the game. They're, they're, they know the intricacies of the behind the scenes and negotiation and the lawyer stuff. But like, as you said, all that stuff can be learned. You were there and you know some of the intricacies that another agent probably just couldn't. Right. 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 And yeah. I think that the, the biggest part that I think has elevated me to another level was those 10 years that I had the development schools Yeah, because I learned yeah. how to teach. I learned how to create discipline in somebody. I learned how to motivate somebody. I learned how everybody's different yeah. in their own way. Yeah. And you have to, you have to be able to understand the individual first, figure out their strengths and weaknesses, how you could get in there and develop them. And I think that is a big part just in general in life and um, being able to take that development skill and use that in what I do today uh, was far more important than than playing. Look, there's great players out there, and I won't name some of them that I actually worked with in the offseason when I was playing that were incredible major league players that couldn't teach at all. They were just like, yeah, mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of watch my hands and what I do. But they had, they didn't understand how to share that skill with their mind to say, this is how I do it. And I didn't necessarily have that skill in the beginning, but I learned through the years on how to develop it and uh, share it and then have success with it. And I think that's a big part of it all. You know, all the different pieces from playing, scouting, developing, and now being an agent, um, the development part, I think, has been the most useful when it comes to the skill set to become a successful agent. Yeah, it's kind of an aha moment for me as you're sitting there. I was thinking back, and you're absolutely right. And, and of course, I was a pilot, and still am, but I mean, I was pretty good at a pilot. Then I became an instructor when I was in the military still, and I was teaching mm-hmm. students. I was teaching students how to fly that never flown before, so from the very beginning, right? And you're absolutely right. The, the, the showing, I didn't, I thought I knew how to land a plane. But when I had to explain what I was doing, I be, you know, and I became that much better at it. At the end of three years of instructing, I was exponentially a better aviator than I was going in, and I was a good one going in. And I was probably, you know, probably too cocky about it, but I couldn't explain how I did it. But as I was forced to instruct, it, I learned. I, I can, I'll never forget. I was about a year and a half into teaching, you know, instructing and showing people how to land, and it's like it's like I could see things I'd never saw before. It's hard to explain. But I was sitting there, I was doing a lane, and I was like, oh, you mean I've been doing this wrong? Oh, that's what I'm supposed to – you see, it was just weird. And yeah, so I, I see what you're saying. Like that development of of showing somebody how to do it is – that's a great skill. Yeah, I can see that. No, you're spot on on that. You do – when you start to teach and you realize what you're teaching, uh, you become better. And, and you summed it up perfectly – with your aviation skills, right? You were like a pilot all those years and felt 
like, okay, I'm a, I'm a really good pilot. Yeah. I'm like, I know and what I'm doing. Yeah. You taught during those three years, you were a way better pilot after that yeah. third year. Well, it, and yeah. I walked away yep. from that saying, there's always something to learn. You know, I think I went into it, you know, right. with, with kind of, oh yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I got this all figured out. And, you know, and then it didn't take long for the aviation gods to smack me on my butt, you know, to, 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 to bring me back to reality, you know, but yeah. Right. And I walked out of it more of, there's always something to learn. And, and yeah, yeah. Great. I, I love that. Man, I could talk to you forever, man. I'm looking at the clock and I'm sure you got something yeah. more important to do than, than, than jaw jack with me all day. But, but man, I, I love your story, man. I love your, your, your ethics, your mindset, your tenacity, the commitment. This is all stuff that I've talked about on the show for seven years. It's something that I never get tired of talking about. And I just hear a breath of fresh air of someone that's, that's, you know, very successful in this field that's come back from adversity. And, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. How can people learn more about what you do and, and, and your agency and where, where can I point my listeners to? Uh, well, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I don't get a lot of uh, um, opportunities to talk about some of the deeper things that we got into today. So it was refreshing. It was nice to um, to be able to share it and talk about it. And I think it's always a good um, cleansing exercise to go through. And so I do appreciate you bringing it up and extremely comfortable on here. And, and uh, you know, thank you, Richard, for having me on. Uh, I... I work with um, uh, Rhonda. She's she's great, and she lines these things up for me. It's called PowerPlays19.com, and so um, you can uh, anybody that would like to get a hold of me can go ahead and reach out to her. and And um, this has been wonderful. I do appreciate uh, you having me, and um, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, PowerPlays19.com. There'll be a link on the post. Check him out. He's one of the good ones. Thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it, man. You got it. Thank you. Have a good day. Be safe and healthy out there. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. This summer, dive into the many cools of San Antonio. Because as soon as the temperature rises, so does the fun, the flavors, the excitement, and the many cool things that make our city the perfect summer getaway destination. Come keep cool with amazing pools at the best hotels, refreshing adventures both indoor and outdoor, inspiring history and culture, culinary wonders, and the hottest nights of your life at the coolest spots in Texas. To plan the coolest summer vacation, dive in to visitsanantonio.com slash summer.